0: Very glad to see us again for this uh, second service here at BPJ Center. And for the past uh, month in July, we've been doing a series on our life in God's hands. And now we are back in the book of Daniel. Okay, So can you turn to your neighbor, turn to your neighbor and say yes. Okay, yes. All right, turn with me please to Daniel chapter 7 now. As we continue the journey of placing our lives and the world in God's hands. Daniel chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Verse 1. There was a teenager who went overseas for a CCA camp and this was the text his parents received. Hi dad and mom, teacher told us to text you in case you heard about the flood and got worried. Uh, don't worry, we're all fine. Only one of our tents and two sleeping bags got washed away. Nobody drowned because we were all on the mountain looking for our friend Chad when it happened. We would never have found him in the dark if not for the fire. One of our tents also got burned and some of our clothes. Boy, Johnny is gonna look weird until his hair grows back. This morning, all the boys went swimming in the lake, and teacher wouldn't let me because I can't swim. So he let Chad and I take the canoe across the lake. Teacher was so nice; he didn't even get angry at us for leaving the life jackets behind. Also, Chad and I threw up. Teacher said it's probably just food poisoning from the leftover chicken. He would know because he became sick like that with the food he ate while in prison. I'm so glad he's our CCA teacher. I have to go now, don't worry. Everything is just fine. Love your son. Now, while hopefully none of us will receive a text like that from our family and get a heart attack, we look at the news and all that's happening around us today and we know all is not well. Be it the climate crisis that continues to loom its ugly head, with temperatures and mercury soaring above 50 degrees in some urban cities, with floods that even sweep across urban cities and leaving dead people in its wake. We think of how superpower nations jostle for supremacy politically, threatening one another with military action and even nuclear arsenal. All this obviously have downstream and knock-on effects in terms of how the financial market becomes volatile, supply chains get disrupted, trade relations sour and so forth. Now back home, besides our attention on what's happening in Parliament, what should be of concern to us, which is far longer effects, is how a suicide rate is on the all-time high and the bulk of them happens to our young people. And in the latest survey of divorces in our land, the peak divorces happen within the fifth to the tenth year mark, and which means for some of us, the seven year each is very real. This is the state of the world, the state of our land, and we're living in very uncertain times in a very unstable world. But the good news is that God has called us as a certain kind where we are certain of the hope we have. So that in the midst of a world asking, is there hope when everything is so uncertain, unstable? When trust is lost, who can we place our trust upon? The gospel and the church of Jesus has a resounding answer. Can we say amen? And here in Daniel chapter 7, as we open the scriptures, This chapter shows us at least two things we can be certain of as we live in these end times, in these final days before Jesus returns. And therefore, we can live as people with hope, taking heart and taking action for such a time. Now, before we dive into chapter 7 itself, I'm going to do a quick recap of the book because it's been about a month since we left or we kind of digressed from the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is divided into two halves, chapters 1 to 6 and then 7 to 12. 1 to 6 gives us a picture of a God who holds the nations in His hands, a sovereign God. 7 to 12 gives us a picture of a God who is faithful, holding the future in His hands. And as as we follow along in the story, you would know that 1 to 6 is a lot about Daniel and his three friends and different Gentile kings. There are episodes that happen in the king's court where Daniel and his three friends, their faith are tested again and again to the point that their heads could literally roll, but they emerge by the help of God faithful, and God is showcased as the most high God, even in the mouths of these Gentile kings. Now, when we come to 7 to 12, this is where some of us may start to scratch our heads, because what happens is that Daniel begins to see a series of visions. Now, these visions would, would uh, basically describe the clash of kingdoms, and we will see one of them today in chapter 7. Chapter 8, there's another one. And then from chapters 10 to 12 is another vision. All these talk about the clash of empires in such a way that even Daniel himself was puzzled, and even more so for us. And in between, what happens is that some angelic beings had to turn up and explain to Daniel what the visions meant and he prays in response to God when all this revelation happens. Now, because all these imagery are in the form of symbols, and, and, and pictures that's quite out of this world, we don't have a reference in terms of our earthly existence, we end up scratching our head and wondering, what, what do all these visions mean? Who are they referring to? When are they fulfilled? Are, are, are these figures literal or, 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 or just figurative? Because you will come across also time phrases like, this will happen in days or weeks or a time, time, half a time. And then it leaves, it leaves us with our hands up in the air to say, how, how do I understand this, right? Now, because this is not meant to be a teaching hour, I will not dive into this genre, which we call the apocalyptic genre, or at least most of it in the second half of the book. But hopefully along the way, the preaching team will unfold some of these visions in a way that is a bit more understandable, in a way that we can share the house view. Okay, Now, uh, for those of us who are helping to lead the Word uh, in your CG, ZM, CG leaders, and those facilitators, can, can you just wave at me if you're involved in, okay? Um, you would have received a, an overview paper at the start of the year. Now, at the end of that paper is an appendix where there are some handles there practically that you can look at and consider how to go along in terms of the, the, the study of the Word in Daniel, all right? But here in chapter 7, essentially, what Daniel paints for us in chapter 7. Are there at least two things we can be certain of in these last days before Jesus returns? That's why we can take heart and take action. The first is that God is still directing the fate of nations, God is still directing the fate of nations in the midst of all the madness and the mess. Now, let me summarise verses 1 to 8 briefly. Essentially, Daniel sees a vision of four creatures that don't look like anything in the zoo. But essentially, these four creatures portray four kingdoms in world history. Now, the first is a lion with wings. The second is a bear with three ribs in the mouth. The, the third is a leopard with four heads and four wings. And then the last is a, a creature that's so unlike the rest. Uh, those of us who have watched Sesame Street or Electric Company when you're young, You remember there was one segment where uh, four things are shown and then one is totally different from the rest? It's like that. The fourth is so different and so fearsome. It's so terrifying. The only thing I can picture that we can understand is Godzilla in the movies. Larger than life, stomping and flattening everything that's along its way, including buildings and people and cars, and everybody is screaming and running in different directions for dramatic effect. Now, the question is, when Daniel was shown all these four creatures as symbols, as portrayals of four empires or four kingdoms, what exactly is being shown here historically? Now, there are different views by different scholars, and as a preaching team discussed this, we are persuaded, we are persuaded that here are the four kingdoms that are being portrayed. Babylon, Medes, Persia, and Greece. Babylon... Medes, persia and greece pastor man how you derive that now here's what scholars discover that while the book can be divided into two halves uh, one to six seven to twelve they notice that there is a segment of the book that's written in a different language from the rest the rest is written in hebrew but chapters two to seven is written in, in language called aramaic which is the language of those days and they couldn't fully conclude why it is written in this language, but here's what they noticed of the structure. Now, chapter 2 to 7 goes like this. It's a dream of four world kingdoms replaced by a faith. Do you remember the, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar with the statue of the four different types of materials? Okay, so that's chapter 2. Chapter 3, uh, as you would remember, there were three friends thrown into a furnace, right? There was a trial. And then Daniel interprets another dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. When Belshazzar comes into the scene he interprets the handwriting on the wall. Chapter 6 another trial where Daniel is thrown into the lions den. Chapter 7 there's a vision again of the four world kingdoms replaced by the fifth. So do you notice that chapters 2 to 7 2 to 7 actually is a a book end of the segment. They are referring we think and we believe the same thing where where instead of just uh, two pictures that show different things, they are actually concluding that these are the four same empires. Now, what are these empires? Babylon, Medes, Persia, and Greece. Why? Because in the first vision or the first dream, uh, we know that the head of gold in the statue is Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire, right? Okay, so that's what we can safely deduce. Now, when we come to chapter 7 now, what happens at chapter 7, verse 1 onwards, if you look at verse uh, 4, sorry, 4, Verse 4, the first beast that is described is like this. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And then as I looked, its wings were plucked off. It was lifted from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. In the ancient gate of Babylon is the symbol of a lion as a symbol of the empire. To scare off potential enemies that you don't mess with us. And when, when verse 4 talks about how a mind is given to this king, do you recall in chapter 4 how Nebuchadnezzar became insane because he refused to acknowledge God and accredited the whole empire to himself until King Nebuchadnezzar says that my reason or my mind returned to me and I acknowledge the Most High? The mind was given back to Nebuchadnezzar. So that's what we can conclude about the first empire. Now, Pastor Man, what about the last one? How come it's Greece? and therefore you deduce backwards is Medes and Persia. There is a little horn described about this last empire. So you run your finger with me now to verse 7. Verse 7. After this, I saw in the night visions... And behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong, it had great iron teeth, it devoured and broke in pieces and stemmed what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Notice now verse 8. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up from among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots." And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and its mouth speaking great things. Now, if you go to verse 24, verse 24. And as for the ten horns, referring to this fourth empire, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, shall wear out the saints of the Most High, shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given to his hands." for a time, times, half a time. There is going to come a king from this empire called A Little Horn who will come and invade the people of God in such a way that will seek to even change their religious laws. Now, historically, what happened was that in AD 167, there was a Greek king by the name of Antiochus who captured Jerusalem and basically banned the Jewish religion. He forbade them to practice circumcision or the Sabbath and forbade them to even offer sacrifices on the altar. And instead, he took a pig and brought it into the temple of the Jews, slaughtered the pig and offered it as a sacrifice to his God called Zeus, put the sacred Jewish writings in pig broth, forced the priests and the Jewish people to drink the broth. This would have been sacrilegious and terrifying for the Jewish people. I am persuaded that the little horn here is referring to this king, and he's from the Greek empire. We will see this little horn again in chapter 8 and chapter 11. But whatever your view is, here's what I'd like us to notice how God is still directing the fate of nations. You notice that in the activity of all these kingdoms in in verses 1 to 14 and, and onwards, notice the verbs that are used to describe the activity. They are plucked off, lifted up, made to stand, the mind of a man given, raised on one side, dominion given, dominion taken away, lives prolonged, consumed and destroyed. Now, are these active verbs or passive verbs in the Bible? Passive, right? Meaning... It is not them doing this unto themselves. Someone of a higher power is doing this and holding these empires in his hand. That's why when after Daniel sees that four visions, it doesn't end there. He sees another vision of this higher power. Verse 9, as I look Thrones were placed, and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne were fiery flames, its wheels burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. Verse eleven. I looked them because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, this horn and beast made war with God and the angels. And the angels were pushed back. One of them had a bloodied nose, the other had a black eye. And the angels fell, they got up. One of them got angry and commanded the charge. And ching chang ching chang ching chang. The battle lasted for three full days and three full nights until the beast and the army were finally defeated. That's not in your Bible, right? That's the ESV, Edmund Salah version. Okay. <laughs> Verse 11 I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. In other words, God just snapped the finger, die! Actually, that's not even correct. The Bible tells us in the Psalms that with the breath of his mouth, the enemies were destroyed. God didn't even need to lift a finger. That's our God. And therefore, no matter how powerful, how many armies that number tens of thousands or even millions, no matter how expensive these empires are, it is a walkover where God is concerned. And the chess pieces are still moving until the day checkmate is declared. God is still directing the fate of nations. What does this mean for us? Two Sundays ago, Pastor KK Pastor addressed us as a centre, right? That in the midst of all that's happening in our land, it's very easy to add to the comments on socials, which is often not helpful, but rather to spend that energy and time in prayer. And I want to share with us a picture I believe God is giving us as the people of God for such a time. Now, some two months ago, I was with a group of intercessors from East Centre. We were having a gathering at someone's house. We were, we were just having a very happy time, laughing, singing, playing games and all that. And without warning, suddenly the table around in, in the middle of all of us collapsed. And the most instinctive thing that we, we, we did when the table started to collapse, all of us screamed, ah! we screamed and then we, we started doing it. Everybody did this to hold up the table. And we managed to, to clear the food and whatever drinks on the table, flip it to the side, lean against the wall. Lo and behold, this is a picture of the table legs. It has completely given way. This, by the way, is a 40-year-old table made of solid wood. But without warning, the entire thing just didn't take the weight anymore and just gave way. When I was driving home after this incident, I was wondering to myself and asking the Lord, are you showing us a picture of something that's going on? And then the aha moment came and the light bulb turned on. On the surface, everything can look very nice and dandy. Be it families, going for holidays overseas, everything that you see on Facebook where everyone's happy. We're trying to recover our economy and everything else. But below the surface, the cracks were already forming and getting larger. And if nothing is done, the entire thing gives way. And what God calls us to do as a people of God is to do this. To hold our families, to hold the generations, especially the young and the elderly, to hold the nation, to hold the nations before God in prayer, whether we are in prayer season or not. Because God invites us to partner with Him in prayer right now. In the words of theologian Karl Barth, to clap the hands together in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorders of this world. To clap their hands together in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorders, the mess, and the madness of this world. What does it look like for us as God's people? Now, Pastor Adrian has already mentioned this, that on uh, two days from now, Tuesday evening here at 8pm, we're going to gather as a centre, and besides hearing from our MPs, we're going to take a prayer walk as our way of saying and doing this. God, we bring the community before you. Stay your hand, let your kingdom come. And I trust we already hear the news about one of our MPs in this estate, Mr. Liang, who has been diagnosed with early stage nose cancer. Our senior pastors have already written to him, sent our well wishes and are in prayer with him. But this is the season and the hour God calls the church to do this together, to partner with Jesus, the Most High Priest, praying 24-7 for the life of his people. I want to give us something as well uh, that will help us along beyond just 8 August as a prayer gathering. Now, those of us in Covenant long enough, you would have heard of the prayer hand. And for those of us who are newer to Covenant, uh, this is something I want to invite us to do together in your families and in CGs. And my CG, in fact, has a synchronized prayer every 10 p.m. for this. Uh, can, can, can we all put up our hands together? Uh, put up one hand together like this. Okay. Here are the five things or five groups of people we can pray for, or rather four. Sorry. The first is what is to give thanks as a thumbs up, to give thanks. The Bible tells us we enter into his gates with thanksgiving, okay? It's very easy to pray problem-centered prayers and the problems never end, but begin by thanksgiving so that our hearts and our eyes see the good God is already doing. Secondly, the index finger, we pray for leaders, leaders who point the way for us. Until and unless we carry the weight of leadership responsibilities, we, we may not be fully uh, realizing the, the weight and the pressures that leaders constantly have to have to deal with. The multiple factors to be considered, the, the, the moving parts that keep changing, having the ear on the ground, yet instructions from above to execute certain things. Pray for leaders. The tallest finger, pray for significant others. Okay, significant others. People in your life, for example, your spouse, your children, parents you are caring for, people you are mentoring. The fourth, I'm told, is, is the weakest finger, the ring finger. Pray for those in need. Those who are going through a long road in terms of recovery for certain illnesses and conditions and then finally we pray for ourselves we can pray for ourselves but i suggest pray for ourselves last so that our hearts enlarge for something beyond ourselves okay can you turn to your neighbor turn to your neighbor okay uh, show your hand to your neighbor can okay what are the five things we can how how can we pray with these five things can you tell your neighbor right now we give thanks we pray for leaders significant others people in need, and yourself. Good, okay? High five your neighbor and say, let's do it, all right? Now, what we can also be certain of, besides God still directing the fate of the nation, secondly, is that we are still awaiting the time of judgment. Still awaiting the time of judgment. So when you come to verse 15, after Daniel sees the vision, Daniel, being so gifted to understand and interpret dreams and visions, could not wrap his head around what was going on and what he saw, and he needed some help. So verse 15, if you come with me, chapter 7, he says, As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions on my head alarmed me. Verse 16, I approached one of those who stood there, most likely one of the heavenly beings, and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But notice the angel doesn't stop there. He's directing now Daniel to say, Daniel, focus not simply on what these four empires are, but what happens at the end of time. Verse 18, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever forever. ever do you notice the contrast between the kingdom the Saints are in versus the kingdom of these world empires these world empires had to achieve the kingdom through their own effort and wars and political muscle and all that these kings achieve while the Saints receive it is a gift of God to them and us that we cannot earn and for these earthly kingdoms no matter how expansive their territories are in their heyday conquering countries there are boundaries to their kingdoms Whereas the Bible tells us that God's kingdom knows no bounds across not just the 195 countries in our world today, over the two trillion galaxies in our universe. This kingdom is limitless in both time and space. So you look at how historically world empires, no matter how large, how expensive, how powerful, they are no more. Assyria, Babylon, Egypt... Medes, Persia, Greece, Rome, they are all gone. Whereas the Bible tells us God's kingdom is from everlasting to everlasting, such that from the mouth of Gentile kings, even the most powerful in those times, they recognize that the dominion of the Most High is from everlasting from generation to generation and shall be to no end. And God's people say, Amen. And when saints join together in this kingdom after receiving, notice we don't just twiddle our thumbs and do nothing. Here's the scene that happens at the end of time. Verse 10. 10. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him, A thousand thousand served him and ten thousand times, ten thousand stood before him. Notice, the court sat in judgment and the books were open. There's going to be a record of our lives that God will review. The court sat in judgment. If you run your finger to verse 27 or if you scroll there, sorry, verse 26, but the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion, meaning the dominion of the little horn, shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. The court sat in judgment. What God invites us to do at the end of time is to join the divine council where a court will be in session. Together with the angelic beings and the people of God, we will witness this trial that will happen where those who live their lives against God, rebelling against Him, will be put in the dock as a defendant and they will stand no chance and the sentence shall be passed. Ten years ago, there was an incident in uh, Kenya where a 16-year-old girl was gang-raped. She was sexually assaulted by a group of men and thrown into the open sewer and left there basically by herself with back injuries because of how violent uh, it was. And when the police finally caught the culprits of the suspects, here was the punishment for these, these men. They were made to cut grass in the police compound. That's it. And so when people around heard that this was their punishment, they were enraged that justice was not being served. So hundreds of them marched as protesters to the office of the police chief, hung a piece of underwear at the gate and held placards to say that slashing grass is not punishment for rape. And news went out beyond the city to different parts of the world such that uh, an online petition with 1.7 million signatures were garnered and therefore the police chief, the government had no choice but to have a proper trial and these men were finally sentenced with 15 years for the, the gang rape and then seven years for causing grievous hurt to this teenager. You see, my friends, we are living in the kingdom that is here And yet, not yet, because the fullness of that will happen when Jesus returns. And often in this lifetime, injustices are real. Often in this lifetime, the fullness of that justice will not be served until Jesus returns. But when he returns, the sentence will be passed. And the sentence is not simply a few thousand dollars as a fine, or even just two weeks in jail, or even a life imprisonment. It is the death penalty. The ultimate Because the Bible tells us that even if we do not gang rape, all of us fall short of the moral standards God intends, and the penalty of that is death, separation from God. But God took the initiative to solve and deal with the problem of sin by sending Jesus to the cross. So that at the end of time, rather than being a defendant in the dock, that we stand no chance to plead our innocence we join now as witnesses in the divine counsel, as the defendants are being tried. None of us in our right mind want our family, our friends or neighbours we know to be found in the dock. None. And with the only time we have left right now, in these last days that is uncertain, unstable, God invites us to introduce this king and the kingdom that's forever and ever. Now, how do we do this? I, I want to suggest one way that is non-threatening. It's called spiritual conversations. A few weeks ago, I was with my hairdresser. We were talking about the weather because it's, it's, it's just getting very hot and I had to shower three to four times a day. And, and she said something about how the weather was unbearable. And I said something to her in Chinese. I think the world is coming to an end and they just left it hanging. Rather than it being a conversation killer, and then the, the total silence, is, it's just awkward tense, and then you can hear a pin drop in the room kind of atmosphere, that comment actually sparked her interest, and she asked me, can you tell me about the end of the world? She knows I'm a Christian. And, and because she asked, I would have to answer, right? And so I basically talked about how Christians believe that Jesus is coming, where there's a new world that, that Jesus will make, so on and so forth. Spiritual conversations. Yesterday, I was at a dinner function. Sitting beside me was a friend, pre-believer, talking about how he, he likes to tour in different parts of Europe, saw the beautiful architecture of churches. And I just basically asked him a question: Oh, which faith or which religion do you feel more inclined towards? And let him unfold the story: spiritual conversations. We live in a multi-religious society where we have the freedom to do so respectfully. In fact, studies in North America are are telling us, according to research, that it seems that millennials and Gen Zs, the younger ones, are more open to spirituality and faith and God than the previous generations. This window of time is offered to us by which as we do this before the Lord in prayer to, to hold up our family, the nation, and the nations before God, God invites us to receive the gospel all over again and carry this to wherever the Lord may lead us. Now, for some of us who may think, Pastor Edmund, I need a bit more help. Okay, good news. I'm going to sell a bit of goyok. Alpha is coming. End of the month. To make it even easier for our pre-believing friends and and, and family, it's online. So that in in a safe atmosphere when any question can be asked and we can explore life and faith together, we can somehow introduce Jesus and the kingdom in a respectful and patient way because God invites us to do so until that court session happens. God is still directing the fate of nations. We are still awaiting this time of judgment. Let me close with this final story before we join in Holy Communion together. The majority, if not all of us, would know the current Ukraine president because of the Russian invasion. He has a predecessor by the name of Viktor Yoshenko, and while he was running for president, what happened was that the ruling party tried to get rid of him. His face was disfigured, he was poisoned, and he managed to survive the ordeal. And not wanting to be outdone, it it seemed and was, uh, was told that the ruling party decided to rig the election results. And so on national TV that was state-run, when they announced the results, there was a newscaster who basically said, in their language, ladies and gentlemen, I announce that the candidate, Viktor Yoshenko, has been decisively defeated. Unbeknown to them on the TV screen, at the bottom corner is a translator in sign language, which some countries have, right? The name of this translator is Natalia. And here's what Natalia translated in sign language I am speaking to the deaf people in Ukraine. They are lying. (laughs) And I am too ashamed to translate those lies. Yoshenko is our president. And when the deaf community got the message, they sprang into action. They started telling other people. The news agencies got wind of it. And before long, some of these journalists found the courage and were inspired to tell the truth, at least what is supposed to be the truth in the media, all because one lady by the name of Atalia says that they are lying. Yoshenko is president. You see, my friends, in these last days where foreign powers jostle for supremacy, threaten one another, and the narrative of the world out there is he who has the most toys win. Because this world is all there is to it. God has called us as the church of Jesus, holding the scriptures in our heads. They are lying because there is a kingdom where Jesus is king. And he tells us through the scriptures, he calls the church together now, even though we are at the bottom of the screen, we may not be the main figure on center stage of world history. We are a constant feature to tell the world, these are lies because the kingdom is here and this king has come so that in these final days before Jesus returns, let the church be found faithful, fruitful, even when the world is facing uncertain and unstable times. I'm going to invite us to bow our heads in prayer together. And in a few moments' time, we're going to join together in this symbolic act of the Holy Communion to remember that this king has come. He did not strive for power, but gave up his right so that we may receive the kingdom. This king has come and gone to the cross so that rather than being a defendant in the dock, we can be part of the cloud of witnesses in the heavenly council one day. As we pause right now, I just want to give us a few moments to respond to God. Whatever God may have put upon your heart, pointed his divine finger at, just for a few moments. Friends, as we come before the Lord right now, I want to invite us, first of all, as a spiritual family, brothers and sisters, disciples of Jesus, to respond together with a symbolic act. And a few moments' time, just like what the intercessors did, lifting our hands before the Lord, as an act of saying, God, I lift up my family. I lift up the nation. I lift up the nations before you. Prayer season or no prayer season, I hear your call because you desire us as a church, like what we heard from Bishop last Sunday, not only to speak Jesus in prayer, but show Jesus. I'm going to invite you to do that right now with your hands lifted to say, God, I hear your call, count me in. To join you as the great high priest, praying 24-7 for your people. You want to work in answer to prayer, even mine, no matter how short, how weak, how feeble. God, you could have done it much faster through yourself, through angels. But you chose us as a church, as the people of God. You promised, Lord, that plan A will work. There's no plan B. But you who began the good work in us, you will finish it. You will complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. And therefore, we come in that simple confidence. Father God, we thank you. You've made us saints and co-heirs with Jesus. And today, Lord, with uplifted hands, we exercise the authority in prayer in the heavenly places with Him over the nations, over Singapore, over our families, so that through prayer, even ours, even mine, you may continue to steer the course of nations, stay your hand upon this land, upon generations after generations. Lord, I ask that you lead me to people ready for spiritual conversations, that with them I may speak Jesus. And share Jesus that they may turn to you and find that certain and stable hope in our uncertain unstable world thank you you may put your hands down in, in this final moment of prayer, as we come before the Lord perhaps some of us you came today as a visitor for the very first time or you've come before and someone brought you but you do not have a relationship personally with Jesus And I want to invite you to enter into this relationship with Him as your Lord and Savior, so that at the end of time, you're not found in the dock as a defendant. You're found as part of the cloud of witnesses in this courtroom. And here's how that prayer goes. Lord Jesus, you possess all power, all authority, for the rule of all peoples and nations have been given to you. Your rule is boundless in time and space. I acknowledge I'm a sinner living my life without your rule. Today, right now, I open my heart to receive you as Lord and Savior. Save me from sin and the coming judgment. Rule in my heart as king until you return. My friend, if that's you, can I invite you just to put your hand up high for a moment? I just want to acknowledge you. All right, pray with you before we join in Holy Communion together, anyone in the second service. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you that every time the Scriptures are open, you call and invite us to behold you as our King, incomparable, unsurpassable, indescribable. And we ask, O Lord, that you continue to woo the hearts of our friends and guests until the day they call upon you. We give you thanks, we ask this in Jesus' name and we say together, Amen.